There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately use in your life or work. And if I can do anything to help you along your journey, go to my website at EliseCortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. Let's open a conversation and explore what's going on for you and how I, how I might be able to help. Whether you want to learn more about how to develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused culture in your organization to elicit your team's best. You want to see about joining a Catchfire online community to stoke your own passion, inspiration, or purpose discovery. Or you'd like me to speak for your company or conference. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected and thanks for listening. Now on to this week's program. With us today is Dr. James Pogue, the CEO of James Pogue Enterprises. Leadership and training are at the core of who Dr. Pogue is and align with his ongoing commitment to equip executives and professionals with the thought leadership to improve, communicate, and manage effectively. Unconscious bias, diversity and inclusion, multi-generational leadership are right now issues he addresses in his work. We'll be talking about the work he does with unconscious bias in organizations, hear some key elements of his life story that have helped shape who he is today, and learn how his love and practice of dance and martial arts inform how he does his work. He's sitting right next to me in my Dallas studio, where we're also conducting Facebook live stream. Dr. Pogue, welcome to Working on Purpose. I'm glad to be here. You have a very pleasant speaking voice. It's very soothing. <laughs> <laughs> this you never knew, eh? Yes. You should, you should do this more often. I should do this more Maybe often. Maybe you should know start what? a radio show. Next week, I'll be right here. <laughs> um, first, let's just share with our listeners how I found you. Uh, just really quick, um, we were both speaking at a conference in San Antonio for Cornerstone Credit, and you were minding your own business after having already spoken and giving a great performance. I heard you in the audience, knew I was speaking the next day, and wanted to meet you. So what do I do? Make a beeline for you just before lunch, mm-hmm. accost you at the buffet <laughs> line, and say, Hi, Dr. Dr. Pogue, I'm Elise Cortez, to which you respond. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And so started my relationship with Hurricane Cortez. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so thank you for being willing to be accosted. And then, of course, I invited you to launch because I knew I wanted to have you on the show and share with my listeners. So here we are. And there's a few things I want to get out of you on this. So we have to, you got to talk fast. You're ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. So we're also Facebook live stream. We're we're ready to hear from, from listeners that way, as well as W4CY chat room. Drill us with whatever you have for him. This guy, he can handle it. (laughs) So the first thing I want to talk about is unconscious bias. And this is something that you know very well and you consult organizations with. 
I think it's first for us. It's important for us first to define it. So, what do you mean by unconscious bias? So, unconscious bias is this uh, piece of us that works in the background. There's uh, mounds of research that talk about the massive amount of information our brains receive at any given point in time about people, places, or things. But consciously, we don't have the capacity to calculate it all and then make decisions. So our, our brain creates shortcuts. And these shortcuts are the unconscious bias. And in many ways, this is what keeps us alive. It keeps us from making good decisions and uh, aligns us with certain kinds of ways of behaving. But sometimes if some things have happened in our backgrounds that um, don't haven't, we, are, we haven't been exposed to something or we haven't seen something, then our unconscious bias can create a blockage or a hurdle uh, from that or towards things that might not be necessarily positive for us. So we have to be continually um, uh, cautious about the biases that we have and do our best to surround ourselves with people that can bring those unconscious biases to the conscious so then we can do something about them. Um, again, unconscious biases, we all have them. There's no way around it. It's part of being human, so that's okay. Uh, the, ch- the challenge, however, is to continue to push ourselves to disclose or uncover or expose these unconscious biases so that we can make uh, new friends, new connections, taste new foods, new cultures, and do so in a way that exposes our learning and makes us better people. Awesome way to start. So the first thing I want to say is, doesn't that sound so much better at listeners than something that's normally we think of unconscious bias as this horrible, horrible, awful thing that we never want to commit. Mm-hmm. So right, right away, the definition opens something for us. Yeah, I think it's really important in, in my work that um, I talk about it from the perspective of everybody has it. And most people are good people. Most people are really good people. They want to do the right thing most of the time. And every now and again, you got some crazy person that's a sociopath and those are kind of easy to spot but more often than not most people want to do the right thing and we all have these unconscious biases that we have to navigate through so when I work with people when I talk with people I like to start off with this idea that you're a good person and I'm a good person so let's figure out how we can work together (laughs) okay so for for those of us who don't know what you know about this space and that would be the vast majority of us Help us understand how it is that we employ unconscious bias. What does it look like? How will we know we're actually doing this? Yeah. So a lot of times when we are uh, unconscious bias kind of comes up when we say something like, I don't know, something about them. I just I just like them or I don't know, just kind of rubs me the wrong way. And. Those that can be the beginning of what might be an unconscious bias. Right. Somebody walks in for a job interview and you're like, you know what? He just feels good to me. <laughs> what, what does that mean? Like, and then if you start to unpack that, it could be that he looks or feels like somebody that you had a great experience with when you were 15 or 50. Or it could be the reverse, where this person looks and feels like someone who doesn't. And so our unconscious biases can be a variety of types. There's, there's five um, or so that really make sense in the, in the workplace that I talk about. And one of them, for example, might be um, a halo bias where I see somebody doing a good thing, so therefore I think they're a good person. Oh, interesting. When the truth is, I don't know that person. I don't know anything about them. They just robbed a bank. Exactly. They just (laughs) robbed a bank, but on the way out, they opened the door for someone. (laughs) And and all I saw was the backside of that. Now they're a great person. Because in my mind, opening up a door for someone makes you a good person. 
right? And there's also these perceptive biases or sensory biases where I smell something or I see something or I hear something that reminds me subconsciously of something positive. And a lot of us who have sold houses or bought houses have used this, right? You cook an apple pie, you leave it out for people to smell the wonder of that, and they think, oh, this must be a great home. Guilty as charged, yes. Yes, a great place to raise kids and such. <laughs> but the, you don't know these people. This could be crazy people. <laughs> so uh, we, we use these kinds of biases sometimes as strategies uh, for other people or on other people, but oftentimes those biases are underneath. And we have to be very cautious about what it is we're trying to do, especially when the decisions that we make impact others' lives significantly. Okay, so now we have to talk about, now that we have a better understanding of just what is this thing called unconscious bias, now I want to talk about what are some of the common problems associated with unconscious bias, especially in the workplace. Hmm. So what can happen is we make, uh, if we're supervisors, for example, maybe we make hiring decisions that can be problematic. We hire somebody that we thought was a great fit. However, we find out that um, they may not have the right qualifications, they may not be uh, ready for the rigor of the position, but they felt right. They seemed right. I felt a connection with them. Or the reverse. I felt an aversion to someone for whatever the reason might be, but they're unbelievably qualified. Every now and again, I'll talk to a CEO or, or a hiring manager, and when we start to peel back the onion layers of unconscious bias, they realize at times that they have precluded someone from rising up through the ranks simply because they had this bias about them. And I'll say, for example, from a gender perspective, they might assume that she is uh, she just had a baby or something like that. And of course, she wants to stay home with her kids. So I'm, 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 I didn't invite her to the after work happy hours to meet uh, and greet with the other networking sessions with other folks. When what you've really done is robbed her from the opportunity to make a decision on her own. And so, as I, as I mentioned, this was done for a good reason in this person's mind. Good intentions. Good intentions. But you precluded somebody from growing. Mm-hmm. And, and you took a decision from them that was their own. Well, and I think you and I talked about this when we had lunch. I had Ron Price on my show several months back, and he writes about influence, the art of cultivating influence to, to become a better leader. And in his book, he has a story just about that, about mm-hmm. how a woman's trying to rise up in her career and she's not getting promoted, but those around her men are. And it's exactly that scenario where she's a mom and there's an assumption that she yes. needs more time at home. Yes. So she's being passed over. Well intended. Now, here's the great opportunity from my vantage point is how do we help? And I'd love for you to to weigh in on this. How do we help people start to language and help others reveal this unconscious bias? Did you know, boss, that you passed me over three times for this promotion? Why would that be? How can we do that for someone? One of the easy ways to do that is, in, in, in this case, for example, is diversity in your hiring practices. When you have a, a bunch of different people from different backgrounds making decisions and weighing in on decisions, somebody's going to ask the question that for them is very conscious, but for you is unconscious. Why aren't we going to hire her? Why aren't we going to hire him? What about that person makes them feel good to you? Describe that. Play that out. It's also part of HR practices. When people start to dig into the uh, practices and questions and phrases that are being used, what do you mean by that? Talk to us a little bit more about that. And so on occasion, I'll sit on a uh, executive um, search uh, committee as part as kind of a, a, a as a thinker in the background and ask them questions about the questions that they asked. Mm-hmm. Why did you ask that question? Beautiful. And it helps them to understand when you're allowed to poke each other. You're allowed to ask someone the question about why they were doing that. And it should be okay for them to say, well, well, I don't know. 
That's, that's a good point. I need to think more about that. Because if at the end of the day, we're trying to make great decisions for organizations, for the people that surround us, for the teams that we're trying to build, then we should be able to push each other and, and, and make each other feel, quite frankly, the right kind of uncomfortable. Oh, I like that. The right kind of uncomfortable. Let's grab Lynn's question here from W4CY's chat room. She is asking how to explain a gut feeling. You may have covered that before, but let's make sure she gets her question answered. Sure. So a gut feeling, it can be, so I will make an assumption about what you're saying. So I hopefully I get this right. The gut feeling is like, hey, um, something about this person makes me feel good, makes me feel bad, or maybe not even the person, but a place or an opportunity. And what I do and what I recommend to people is to try to explain why you think that gut feeling is there. And when I can't explain it myself, I go to people who know me well and I ask them to help me explain my thinking for me. And on occasion, I have had uh, good friends tell me that, you know, you think this way because you remember you had this experience 10 years ago or five years ago. It might be connected to this boss that you used to have. It might be connected to this family member that you really love and respect. So when you have surrounded yourself with what might be your personal advisory board, which I recommend that many of us, you ever all of us should try to get, they can help you to make decisions that reveal what might be an unconscious bias for you. Brilliant. That is so brilliant. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay, so let's play this out a little bit more deeply back in the workplace again. We talked about how unconscious bias can can limit how people get promoted. Uh, it can also get impact how people get put on projects. Yes. Who gets fired. Yes. All those kind of things. So say a bit more about some of the ramifications of this in the workplace. Yeah. And so for those of you that may have had an opportunity to see, there's the McKinsey study of women in the workplace. And it talks about how at the entry level that it's about 50-50 men and women. I mean, women have been outperforming men in college for quite some time now, right? So there's it's not like there's a, a, a gap in talent. What there is, is a problem in the pipeline. There's a pipeline issue. So around about the first second promotion why is it that women go from being 50 50 or even 51 49 to 60 40 and then when you get to the ceo level it's dramatically different at the board level it's dramatically different why is this happening and so some of the answers rest in unconscious bias they rest in the fact that when women go through or when women are being hired being looked at as potential peers and colleagues some of us as leaders can't see them that way yet there is something about their background, their connection to uh, professional women that suggests that they may not be ready. They may not have this skill set, that they have children that they're going to raise, that they're going to want to go away during their childbearing years to go and do this other thing. All the kinds of questions that nobody asks men. You know, I may not be able to give birth to a child, but I ought to be able to take time off to take care of mine. And nobody asks me this. Mm-hmm. Nobody asks men the same kinds of questions. And then if we throw another lens in there around um, ethnicity, around ability and disability, around age, all of these things start to create this sort of complicated goulash of the biases that we have. And what do we think of people that are on the other side of that bias? So again, uh, ways to navigate this are to surround ourselves with a diversity of people who can question our thinking in respectful and meaningful ways. And on the way to learning to question respectfully for some of my younger friends or even some of my older friends, we have to give grace and forgiveness when somebody asks you a question and might be worded not the best, but the intention was good Mm -hmm. and just. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. 
I did want to have just a little bit of commentary on how your work with unconscious bias is associated with your work with diversity and inclusion. And you just started that. And by the way, one of my, I hate to single out a population, but one of my favorite populations to hold up and empower is the neurodiverse population. And Mm -hmm. I do have some clients that work in that space. But how do you blend unconscious bias work with diversity and inclusion? Sure. So if I back up, diversity and inclusion or diversity is is really just this idea of what are all the different facets of who you are, of who I am. There's some easy things, short, tall, man, woman, but there's also the intellectual diversity, to your point, the um, abilities and disabilities that might be seen or unseen. But what I try to share with people on the diversity side, there's probably seven or eight that without these pieces of how you might describe yourself, you would be someone completely different. If I take out the idea, for example, that I am a male, if I take that out of my ability to describe myself, it's very impactful. Yes. If I take out the fact that I happen to be African-American, that if I take that out of my ability to describe myself, that can be a huge issue. If I take out the fact that I was raised in Colorado, not quite as impactful. Right. So these five, six, seven, eight of ethnicity, gender, religion, um, ability, disability, sexuality, and frankly, politics. And we kind of leave this one out sometimes. Mm-hmm. These are critical pieces for many of us that, that, that speak to who I am. This is our diversity, the full range of human difference. Inclusion then is how we use that for example, in a business sense, to increase business value. Or if you're in your places of worship, how do you make the, the, the worship experience more valuable? How do, you do, how do you make your team more valuable, your soccer team or your bowling team, whatever it might be, your focus group, your project engineering team? How do you do this? By, you do it by including folks and utilizing the diversity they bring to the table. So diversity is a full range of human difference. Inclusion is how we bring that together so that we can create more value. There's this phrase that lots of people have heard, and so I'll use it here, that diversity is who you ask to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. The next piece I try to put in place is the bias. Bias is who planned the party and why they planned it. Uh. Are we doing karaoke or are we doing um, a DJ? And the person that made that decision might be making because, well, in the past, we've always had a DJ. So or it's been or that's what I like. That's what I like. Mm-hmm. Right. So these pieces all work together. And depending on where you are and where your organization is in their diversity, inclusion, bias journey, you start your study or your work there and then you move forward. Awesome. That was that was so much in a short amount of time. So I'm glad you did that because now we're out of time. We've got to go to a quick break. Quick break. You ready? Okay, I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Dr. James Pogue, an expert in multi-generational leadership, unconscious bias in the workplace, where he provides consultative expertise, keynotes, and executive coaching. He joins us today from my Dallas studio office right here next to me, where we're conducting a Facebook live stream as well. We've been talking about unconscious bias in the workplace. After the break, we're going to get into some key elements of his life story that make him aggressively grateful. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. 
To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. James Pogue, CEO of James Pogue Enterprises. Leadership and training are at the core of who Dr. Pogue is, and aligned with his ongoing commitment to equip executives and professionals with the thought leadership to improve, communicate, and manage effectively. Unconscious bias, diversity, and inclusion, multi-generational leadership are the right-now issues he addresses in his work. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Dr. Pogue, one of the things that I loved about our conversation over lunch is I got to hear some of your amazing life story. And I am, I am a, um, an identity researcher and a meaning researcher. So, for me, I could unpack that all day long. Um, but I want to invite you to share with our listeners some of the key things that you think really make you who you are. And if you don't mind starting out by telling us a little bit about, you told me that you were a music major in college, but you mm. came to realize something at that time. Yes, yes. And um, some of my friends from college are, are listening and, um, and watching. And so this may be the first time some of them have heard this. But I went to college originally to be a music major. Um, I was good in high school and, uh, you know, I was all state caliber, so I was solid. And I went to Grambling State University to be in the band, which is a huge deal there. And um, Grambling State University, world famous Tiger Marching Band, boom. But <laughs> <laughs> and so I was, I was so excited to be in the band. I wanted to play for the Boston Philharmonic or the or the Boston Pops, or the New York Philharmonic. This was my goal. I wanted to play that music that's in the back of cartoons. And I was really excited about that. So I go to Graham and I'm in the band and I'm working hard and I'm learning how to do all of these things to dance and play and be an entertainer and be a performer, getting a bit out of my show. And I remember coming in as a sophomore and I, I knew that I knew how to play. I knew that I knew how to dance. I knew that I knew how to perform. And I came around the corner and the seniors were practicing. And I was like, and I played the sousaphone at the time, the tuba. And these guys were playing and practicing. I'm like, man, they're unbelievable. I'm not that good. I'm never going to be that good. Mm. And I, I had, to, I had a, this moment of realization, like, I got to find something else to do. Because it's not, it's not that, I mean, they're, they're gifted and wonderful people. They're going to help me. And, but I don't think I am good enough to accomplish the goal and the dream that I had. So I had to reassess and it was it was a moment for me where I was like, I don't I don't know. But luckily I, I love science and I love math. And so I said, Well, I'm just gonna find something where I can float to and it'll be easier for me. And so I switched to bio bio premed and I, it was a great decision for me because frankly every class I took in the sciences was easier and more fulfilling once I made this decision about what was a good fit for me and realized that I had reached perhaps the zenith of my talent in that way. And I could find happiness in music and performing and passion for all of the travel that we were doing and do so in a way that was uh, satisfying. That And I could lead and learn how to lead really in the band and where I was a drum major there for a year and be happy. And happiness uh, started to take, a, take root in my spirit that 
you know, I deserve to, to be happy, maybe. You know, I don't think I would have phrased it that way, but it was there for me. Wow. Beautiful. And then from there, if you would, I mean, I just think that that start to your story is just so amazing. You said, actually, you realized those guys were not musicians. They were magicians. Yes. And yes. so from there, um, unfold for us a few of the key things that happened along the way that have made you who you are. Yeah. So I so I went into bio pre-med and I was like, OK, I can I can do this. And I think that um, <clears throat> being a leader, I was a leader in the band and I want to be a leader in the in my student community. So I pledged a fraternity, Kappa Alpha Psi, and I became a, a member of that fraternity. I was the president of the fraternity for a year. And then subsequent to that, there is this opportunity to uh, become president of the Student Government Association. So I said, yeah, I'm all in. I'm going to do that. I, I want to lead. I want to uh, I'll follow until I can lead. But this is an opportunity for me. So I run for student government president. I'm, I'm working my butt off. I'm doing all the things that I can do to sort of grow and become a, a leader. And <clears throat> I lose by 10 votes and I am crushed. <laughs> I am so crushed because by this time I hadn't really, quote unquote, lost anything before. And um, so I went to the dean of students <clears throat> and I'm in his office and I'm asking him, like, what do I what am I going to do? You know, and I have this sort of moment of pause. And he asks me, well, this um, bio pre-med thing, you want to be a surgeon? Yeah, I do. Well, would you do that for free? Ah, yes. And I was like, ah, I got to think about that. <laughs> you know, I, I love science and I love the idea of helping people. And as a surgeon, maybe I can help one or two, maybe three people at a time. I don't know, depending on how good you are, how quick you are. But I think he, there's a compensation factor that is in there for me that I think that I would deserve or want. And so I began to rethink it. And then I went back to his office, maybe, I don't know, a week or 10 days later. And I said, no. I would not be a surgeon for free, but I would do your job for free. I love working at universities. I love teaching. I love learning. I love young people. I love being around ideas. This idea of getting paid to think, to give you my ideas. Yeah, that's what I want to do. And he was kind enough and strong enough and good enough as a human to help me reorganize the next steps in my academic life to point me in the direction of becoming a president of a university, which was my next goal. What I appreciate about that story so much is that along the way, you were a very thoughtful person. You were inquisitive. You were so present in the moment. And then you ha you found people along the way who, who poured into you, who could hold a mirror up to you and yeah. help you sort of see who you yeah. were. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah. The, the, the beauty of that, I think that oftentimes people have that. It's, and, and there are some times when it happened for me and I was unwilling to look in the mirror. But at this point in time, I was. And so I, I have to remember that in all of the great things that happened to me, there are also times when there was there were pauses in my life. Mm -hmm. One of my mentors says that I have or have had this proclivity to pause. And I have to be cautious about that because, as another friend once said to me, the, the world needs to hear your voice, James. So you have to say something. <laughs> and they're both correct. And um, so I, I continue to try to push myself to, to do these things. So off I go to grad school at the University of Arizona. And um, that's also where I got involved with uh, martial arts. And that became a huge part of my life. So my my existence in graduate school was all about my family was there. My mother was there. 
And so I was uh, getting reconnected with her and my sister and my brother who also lived there. I spent most of my time in class nerding out at coffee shops or um, hanging out with my friend John Lopez. He and I went to the grad program together um, and then doing martial arts five, six, seven eight hours a day. Oh my goodness. Working out, teaching, fighting, punching, kicking, getting punched in the face, kicking other people in the face, in love. I was going to say, people hit that face of yours. Yeah, I was Send not them happy my about way. It. I'll, I'll take care of them. <laughs> but it was, it was good for me. It's, it, it's, it's, there's always this idea. I remember our instructor used to say this all the time. There's always somebody better. And just because I love to compete and I did well in competing, you know, national championships, went to the world championships, did very well. Some of the best fighters and competitors I ever met never competed. This wasn't their thing. Hmm. There's a difference between being a great fighter and a great competitor. I understand. You know, so I have to remember that I'm I'm a smart guy, but I'm not always the smartest person in the room. And what I want to be is one of the most strategic people in the room, because if you got something you can teach me, I'm all about shutting up and listening. You know, I've and seen you do that. Sometimes I got to get hit over the head to do that, but I'm OK with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So a couple more things. We, we, we've got a break in about five minutes. So I want to make sure and pull out those key things in your life that you think have kind of really made you who you are. Yeah. So the other piece would be dance. And so as I as I, I started dancing me about three years ago, and it's a dance, uh, an Angolan dance called uh, Kizomba. It's, it's grandfather, if you will, is Simba. And the version of it I do is called Urban Kizomba. And I started here in Dallas and it, I'm an introvert and it really gives me an on ramp to have conversations with people. Otherwise, I get struck by hurricanes. <laughs> That being me. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, there's also so and that was has been very helpful to me over the last uh, three years or so to to meet people in a community in an environment where I didn't really know anyone. And um, I'm kind of a in that way an an orphan in this space. So I came to Dallas with that in mind. And I have some pieces that I wanted was going to share about my family, but I don't know if we have the time to do that now. We'll do that after the break because I want to focus on your dance and martial arts after the break. Yes. So on the dance side, again, so I've now had the opportunity where I'm good enough to travel and teach and to teach here locally, too. And I love it. I still love teaching. I love ki- helping kids tie their shoes. And if it's that or if it's anything else. Not, and yesterday I was teaching a class um, and there was, I don't know, 30, 40 people. And I don't know. But just watching somebody's eyes co- turn on because they learned how to do the thing. And in this particular dance, it's all about connecting with the human next to you, the human who has chosen to spend three minutes or 10 minutes right there with you in the same space. And for me, because, you know, when I grew up, uh, mom was busy, you know, and there was a lot going on. And I have I have five siblings, five of us siblings. There's a lot happening in our family. And um, by that, I mean a lot of moving parts. And so there weren't a lot of hugs going around all the time. And so in dance, because of how the dance is designed, I get the opportunity to hug somebody for three minutes, six minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, and just share my day with them. And they get to share their day with me. And how often do we get to do that in this busy world? And so I'm in love with the opportunity to connect with the person next to me. I'm not always the best at it, but I'm going to keep struggling to make it happen. This is like continual search for balance that I learned in martial arts, that I transition and translate over into dance, that let's continue to try to figure out how we can communicate and talk about how our day went, how this moment is going, how the music is making us feel. And then you go from there. And then afterwards, you high five and you move on to the next partner. 
so two things. One, um, you are a great hugger. You really are. <laughs> I've only, I've hugged you, I think, twice now in my life, and I, they're both. They're just. They're like. They really. They they stand apart. Second thing is, I want you to say a little bit about why you hang on to this phrase, being aggressively grateful. Oh yes, yes, yes. So <clears throat> I've been I've been fortunate that uh, there's different challenges that have happened, and at, at the at the end of each challenge, I am blessed with this opportunity to see that there the silver lining might be a hundred miles away, but I can see it, and I, I want to be uh, in touch with that, and so. I, I look at the people that uh, surround my life, and I realize that, man, I'm fortunate that they they really care about me. You know, they they really show me that they care. They take the time and effort and energy to poke me, to support me, to push me, to demand of me. I, again, I've got I've got there's five of us siblings, and I don't know which one of us is the smartest or most motivated, but I can tell you that at any given time they are there for me, and I have that with my friends, and I have that with my colleagues, and they demand of me greatness, and I demand of them the same thing, and we push and push each other, and when things aren't good, I know that I can pick up the phone, and I got a lot of numbers I can dial up here. They're gonna just love me in the moment. And, and for that, I am aggressively grateful and I want I push that um, out to other people. I mean, I'm all about, hey, if, I, if you cross my mind, I might just send you a text. I don't want anything from you. Just letting you know that I thought about you in this moment. And I do that because people did it for me. I didn't even know it was a thing until somebody did it for me. <laughs> I know it was something you did. I thought I was supposed to call you back. Nope, don't call me back. Just want to let you know you're on my mind. That's beautiful. I want to comment on one of a few things that you said, but let's finish our last break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Dr. James Pogue, an expert in multi-generational leadership, unconscious bias in the workplace, where he provides consultative expertise, keynotes, and executive coaching. He joins us today from my Dallas studio office right here next to me, where we're also conducting a Facebook live stream. After the break, we're going to talk more about his dancing and his martial arts and learn how they inform his passion and the way he does his work. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Dr. James Pogue, who is the CEO at James Pogue Enterprises. Leading and training are at the core of who he is and align with his ongoing commitment to equip executives and professionals with a thought leadership to improve, communicate, and manage effectively. Unconscious bias, diversity, and inclusion, and multi-generational leadership are the right now issues he addresses in his work. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. 
So I want to comment on what you said um, before the break, and then I also want to let's catch what Kim just said on W4CY chat room. She says, hugging can heal depression, so hug people often. I agree. I do it all the time, and he's a victim of it himself. That's how he's on the show. So thank you, Kim, for that reminder. I'll keep hugging. Um, The other thing that I want to say about what you were sharing, and this is so important, and I do it in my work too, is to the way we share our story, our life story, is so profoundly important because it gets to identity, and identity drives behavior. It drives how we feel about ourselves, how we think about ourselves. So I love, that's why I wanted you to share your story. There's so many other things you could have pulled for from that story, but the way that you share it, now we start to understand even more how you work with unconscious bias, diversity, Mm -hmm. inclusion, and there's a love that sits underneath that that we can all feel. Yeah. And then also this idea that um, I I hope for people that they can find a way to connect what they love to do with what they do every day. And I know for some people, you know, life hasn't worked out that way for them. And um, but if, if, if there's even a window, a small window of time, uh, a moment. And for me, this is what happens sometimes when I'm teaching dance. You see a person who this is their moment to be out. They've got a spouse at the house or a spouse with them or they got kids at the house or kids with them. And they're like, this is my time just to be in a place where I can be happy and I can hear the music and I can hang out and have adult conversation maybe. And they may not know how to dance well at all or ever. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm. What you get to do is spend time with people that have a passion for something that you have. And then we can connect and hang out and sort of love each other for 10, 20, 30 minutes or three hours. And then, you know, see you next time. And in those moments where you can, if you can get uh, positivity sort of injected into your spirit from someone who's doing it on purpose, to your point about working on purpose and and loving on purpose, um, if we can do that for each other, then all the better. It's a win. So... uh I'll say two things to that. One is, I think I told you that I started taking tango dance lessons a while mm-hmm. ago, and I am loving it every Sunday at 4.30. I yes. go up to Carrollton, and I dance for an hour. I put my heels on, and I just melt into it, and I love it. It's elegant. It's beautiful. It's expressive, and you're right. There's something about just dropping into that space that is wonderful. And then for you, what I also wanted to talk about is when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk with you about the radio show, and I was thinking, I knew I wanted to talk with you about dance. I, I didn't even connect it to your musical love. And I don't know if that is connected for you, but there seems to be something about movement and connection for you. Yeah, I, m- me and my body are good friends, you know, and we've known <laughs> each other great. for a while. <laughs> and um, so I, in, in college, I was not a good dancer. I mean, the band can dance and move and entertain, but I was not uh, ready and I remember the upperclassmen, the same ones who uh, positioned me to not be a music major because of their talent. They said to me, "Say, look, James, the band directors, one of his phrases was, holes don't make mistakes. And so he'd rather have a hole out there on the field than have you out there making mistakes. Mm. And you're not good enough. Go practice. Go lock yourself in your dorm room, turn the radio on and keep moving till you trip over the beat because you're terrible. <laughs> <clears throat> That's so encouraging. Yes, Thank it, you. And it's kind of in love because they wanted me to be on the field, right? But I wasn't good enough. And how many times have someone come, has someone come to us and said, you're not, you're not good enough right now, but in love, right? And because I want you to be better. 
And of course, we're all some teenager, some version of teenager that age. So our, our ways of communicating weren't all the ways the smoothest, but they did that for me. Mm. And so I learned how to communicate uh, through dance to 40,000, 50,000 of my best friends in the audience. <laughs> Which is a lot for you as an introvert. And, hey, and, and how, do you, how do I give them this piece of me? You know, I've got a 10-minute field show, and I'm, I'm, I'm about to give it to you, right? <laughs> you know, and, and whatever I got, you're about to get it, you know? And, and that's how I feel when I ask you to dance. When I ask you to dance, it's about to be a situation. It, it's, a, it's about to go down. This, these three minutes between you and me, yep, we're about to have a full-fledged relationship right now. That's awesome. Yes, that's how I'm bringing it to you. And if, if I don't do a good job, just know that I did the best I could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's beautiful. And I'm also getting that connection in my work with the tango, too. I do understand what you mean. There's in that three minutes of dance or that song, we, we are in a relationship. Yes. I, I understand what you're saying. Yes. I'm learning yes. what you're saying. Put yes. it that way. Uh, so in preparation for this conversation, I went and did a little bit of looking on, on YouTube for Kazamba. Yes. Okay. So you told me that you've, I think you told me this, you've taught workshops all, workshops all over, including Singapore, yes. Japan, Malaysia. Um, I found it to be very expressive. Um, so where where did this dance come from and what does it mean to you? So in the in Angola, they had um, terrible war, famine, etc. And people didn't have anything. They just had each other. And so the dance kind of started with people hugging each other and rocking back and forth. It's just me and you in this mm-hmm. moment. We don't have much. We don't have anything. But we have each other. And the dance grew out of that. And so the dance at its root, at its heart, it's a family dance. It's something I can do with my grandmother, my mother, my daughters, whomever. And it's also something like I have guys that I dance with because sometimes I want to follow versus leading all the mm-hmm. time. And and so it is a dance that is about connection between these two people. And so it grew out of that in Angola to become uh, the word kizumba in Portuguese means a party, like so like a barbecue party oh, or I hanging out. I should have known that I speak yes. Portuguese. I didn't know that. There you go. See? And so um, <laughs> it is a... It, again, at its simplest, it's just something we do with our friends and hang out, right? And then uh, the urban kids part, uh, contemporary music and different beats and so on. So it has maybe more of a tango-esque romantic feel to it at times. And so that part I may not do with my mother, of course. But um, <laughs> there, are, there are other opportunities even within urban uh, kids, which is the component that I do uh, primarily that allows me to have fun to connect with people and to release as my as one of my mentors said in um, in New York the poison of the day. Mm, interesting. So that's beautiful and it's what I'm learning about you too and the first time when we had lunch together that first time after I accosted you and got you to have lunch <laughs> with me you there you came into the restaurant you sat down with a presence that I don't know how to describe but I think it is totally informed by how you literally dance through life, how you move mm-hmm. through life. And it feels to me like you're collecting all these experiences and interactions and dances and conversations that you've been accumulating in your life. And when you sit down in from somebody, we feel all of those things. That's what it feels like to me. I'm, I really want to be fully present in the moment that I have with someone, even if we're disagreeing and arguing and fussing. You know, and even if I'm not getting it, whatever that it is, I'm trying to receive from you and you're you're trying to pour into me and I'm just, you know, like this blank page, I can't get it or I can't understand it the way that you are. At least you know I'm there. And so everything that I've learned up until the moment that I met you is 
is on call for the time that I'm with you. That's what it feels like. You know, and I, I, I really want to be there with people. Um, and I love when that person chooses to be there with me. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of, hey, come spend this time with me. It's more like, would you like to? And if you if you take one step towards me, what right do I have not to take 20 towards you? Because I'm capable, you know, and then maybe all you can do is take one step. And I got the rest, <laughs> you know, because there'll be a time when it'll be the reverse. When all I can do is raise my hand to say, could you come and talk to me? And I, and I want people to come and be around me and be in my space and share a moment with me. That's so beautiful. And I appreciate that because of the work that I do is is really around helping people to discover, nurture, and grow their passion, inspiration, and their purpose. So I live in that space that I want more of us to dwell there with you and come along with you. And to that end, would you share a little bit about, you just came back from two weeks where you're, you're yeah. traveling somewhere fantastic, <laughs> teaching dance, yes, and yes, having yes, fun. Yes, yes, I, I, um, In Singapore, there's a, a group there called the... Um, the, the dance connection and there, there's a teacher there an organizer her name is Irene um, Irene Lin and she and I connected uh, when I first went to Singapore maybe six months ago and I told us look I'll come back as often as you want because I'd love to teach let's just figure it out and so she arranged for me to come there for two weeks and I taught and lived and hung out in Singapore and you know, I worked my butt off on the teaching side. It was exhausting, but it was wonderfully exhausting. And she has connections in Malaysia. So we went to Malaysia, took a six hour bus ride to Malaysia and then uh, hung out in Kuala Lumpur, got to saw the Love that see, place. two huge tall twin buildings, who knew? And yeah. uh, so that was Bendigos. great too. Yeah. And mm-hmm. ate interesting food and talked with interesting people. I mean, I'm, I'm living a really, really uh, good life. And again, for all of these things, I'm really, really grateful. Mm-hmm. I really applaud that. In fact, one of the things that I often speak about when I'm talking to anybody, whether it's an audience or whether it's one-on-one, is the importance of creating an overall life. Not just mm. a career, but create the life that you want for yourself. And then you make your work inside of that or through it and around it and thread it through. And I love the way that you stitch together this beautiful fabric of a gorgeous, what I would call, well-lived life. I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to hitch a ride, so hang on. <laughs> um, all right, we don't have too much time left, but could you say a little bit about your martial arts? You're still doing that. I know you've got these five national championships that you mentioned before. Um, I want to know wh- how it is that you, one, have the time to continue this kind of training, and how does it inform your life and your work? Sure. So I don't get the chance to work out as much as I would really like to. So really, the martial arts component of my life is in how I approach uh, the world. That I remember being trained that when you walk into the com- competitive area, who are you? What are you? You know, and, and have a presence and be somebody and look around and be aware of what is taking place. Know that people are assessing you. Mm-hmm. In this case for, are you a competitor? Are you strong? Are you fast? Are you confident? Like when I ask someone to dance, I want to ask in a confident manner so that my future partner knows that I, I at the very least, we're going to get these basic steps together if, if that's all I've got today. <laughs> Same thing when I approach the martial arts competitive arena. When, when I bow in, I'm, I'm giving you the best I got here. And there are times when I've given the best I've got and I got my head handed to me. And that's okay, you know, but I'm, I'm going to walk in the door with both, both uh, feet on the floor and shoulders back. You know, mom taught me that a long time ago, who you are 
the commercial, the marketing for who you are uh, means something. So that whole presentation, um, yeah, fake it till you make it kind of a thing that that has some value, especially as a younger person. And then as you fill your cup and you become more solid, people can see that you are more than the commercial that you're providing. And if they're curious and if you're both willing, you can explore that more. You know, and I'm excited about the opportunity to do that with each new person. Well, so it makes you such a full person, right? And now then you add to this, you also told me that you recently began taking bachata, bachata dance yes, lessons. Yes, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. The struggle I continues. saw I looked at that too. Another beautiful <laughs> dance. Why that dance? Um, I Bachata, salsa, and kizumba oftentimes are bundled together at dance clubs. And I get sick and tired of sitting down and watching other people. I want to be in and I'm watching people do all this stuff and people, ladies will come and ask me to dance. I remember it was, it's happened in Canada. I just had this really great kizumba dance. It was great, wonderful. And they started playing bachata music. A lady runs up to me and says, do you dance bachata? I was like, no. She says, what the hell is wrong with you? I was like, yeah, you know, I, I need to get my life together. <laughs> I need to get it together. That's on me. What am I doing in a room where they're playing great music and, and I don't have the confidence to at least get out there and let, and let me get these basics together? And we're going to have a great basic dance. That's where I'm at now. I can give you a great basic four in bachata. Okay, awesome. I got like three and a half moves that I have mastered. Okay, so in tango, we have we have a six and, a, and an eight. So that may, I got those. If you get those two down, you're you're pretty much, you're, you're in good there shape. You, go. you can dance with somebody. Uh, so I, I'm interested since I, I love the concept of how we weave a life together. I want to understand better how you think your dance, your martial arts, and just the way you move through life informs how you do your work. Sure. So um, it's again, it's about this this balance, right? So when I'm in front of a crowd and they've allowed me to come and spend time with them, when somebody has said, you have something valuable to come and share with us 20 people or 200 or 2,000 people. It's the same concept as someone asking me to dance or I ask them to dance and they say, you have something valuable to share. Wow. Right? So I, I prepare the same way. I try to, I'm going to give you everything I've got when I'm on this stage. I'm give you everything I've got when I'm doing this consultation or this workshop. I'm going to study. I'm going to try to be as competent as possible and then provide to you the information wrapped in a way that you can understand and digest. You know, an, an instructor told me one time in the Kizumba world that all of us can do, teach the basic stuff. Everybody can. And I feel the same way about consultants. All of us can do all the basic stuff. They bring me in as a teacher, dance teacher, or as a consultant or as a speaker because of how I do it. And so I want it to be wrapped in a way that is full of respect and honor and dignity and recognizing that in this world of diversity of black and white and brown and Asian and gender issues and ability disability issues that I am not going to beat you over the head for not being as sophisticated from a diversity inclusion perspective as the next person. I will push you and challenge you to do that, but not so much um, because you don't know. I might challenge you because you're not trying to get better, but not because you don't know. Wow, that was gorgeous. Um, and here we are out of time. So I want to thank you very much, Dr. Pope, for joining us. You are, your spirit is so beautiful. I couldn't resist, and I had to share with my listeners. So thank you for coming and dancing with us on air. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Listeners, if you want to learn more about Dr. Pogue and the work that he is doing on unconscious bias, diversity, inclusion, multigenerational leadership, visit him at his website. It's jamespogue.com. So James and then Pogue is P-O-G-U-E.com. 
Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a being recorded podcast. We were on the air with Dr. H. Gene Wright talking about finding the strength in our struggles and the lessons he's learned from his decades of serving as a forensic and clinical psychologist working with the government and in prisons. Next week, we'll be on the air with Lynn Franks, OBE, a true renaissance woman who at the age of 71 is steam ahead, full on to her multiple palette of adventures as an activist, writer, businesswoman, teacher, leader, and grandmother. We should all have half her passion and purpose. See you there. Remember that work is at least one third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>